normally, Lord willing, we'll have Josh with us, but he is not feeling his best uh, today, and so um, we're missing out on, on him. But I, my feeling is, and my thought is, if we've got Grant, we're in good shape. So any questions need to be directed right there, and uh, we will sure um, enjoy this. Before we talk a little bit, just kind of an introduction, um, let me pray for us. I want to pray for uh, the other group on the other uh, side of the uh, tracks over there talking about suffering and Daniel um, this morning, well, this afternoon. Let me pray. And uh, we are in for a year, Lord willing, of so much just pure gold from God's word here in Romans. I have been overly excited for probably the six months that we've been talking about it. And so I can't wait to, to get things um going and, and uh, full speed. So let me pray. Father, we come before you and we are overwhelmed with this just tremendous opportunity um, to feast on your word. And there's no feast like Romans, um, it seems. And Lord, you have given us uh, this book that is packed with so much, an inexhaustible source of wise counsel and of insights um, that are thrilling, thrilling to our soul, that which makes us um, changed, transforms us. Um, we do pray that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that we would be able to fix our eyes um, completely and clearly on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray that this you would use um, this next year and each week to... Um, uh, spur us on toward love and good deeds, to love each other and to love you with a greater love than we've ever had before. Lord, we pray that we would um, understand the arguments of the gospel and how to explain it better uh, to others. We pray that we would um, leave with a deeper desire to study your word, that we would feast on it all day long, not just only on Sunday afternoons, but that it would become a constant diet for us. Um, and I really thank you for um, Mark and, and uh, Papa and um, Greg over teaching today on Daniel and on uh, suffering. I, I know that Mark has experienced uh, much suffering, and I'm so thankful that you have uh, healed him up, um, that he's able to be back with us. And I pray that you would use the, the three of them today in a powerful way. Um, to teach such a, uh, a great book and great lessons concerning suffering. So, Lord, um, I'm so thankful for Grant and uh, Josh and their um, willingness to study with us and to uh, lead together. And we would pray for Josh that uh, you would heal him up um, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grant. What do you love about Romans? We'll talk about kind of an introduction to it, but okay. um, you've got 43 minutes. 43 minutes, okay. Yeah. So you wanted to start at the bottom. Tell so us what you like. Yeah, yeah. Nowhere to go but up if you start with me. Um, I think maybe I feel a little bit like what Scott always describes was when we read, when we decided we were doing these first seven verses the first week, I was thinking after I read it that there's just not enough there for me to have anything to say, but the more that I looked at it, um, the more I realized there's almost too much to say for just these seven verses. There's so much going on here that Paul introduces this letter 
um, in the first seven verses, the longest introduction of any of his letters hmm. um, that he wrote that we have, and thinking about what he decided to put into this letter, that he's never met this um, particular group of believers in Rome. He hasn't been there yet. And what does he decide to put as his first greeting to them in the letter? And he goes straight to the heart of the gospel, the who gospel. he is, um, the, the way he describes himself to them, and then describing the gospel that he's going to unpack and unfold for the rest of the letter, yeah. just in the first seven verses. Yeah. Anybody else, what's Romans, what hits the spot uh, for you about the book of Romans? What do you love? Anybody say that this is something that Peyton is going to be tempting to come back to you? Peyton did a good job of teaching Romans. What are we talking about, Peyton, seven years ago? Eight? Are you looking at eight right now? Yeah. No. Eight thirty-one. Yeah. What's that? Did you? Is that the part you taught? That was the part I talked about. I don't know if that's when I signed up with the boys. Yeah. No, the boys were out of line, and Peyton put a stops to that <laughs> right there. Could, if you could visit again next tomorrow, Peyton, I would, could use you again tomorrow probably for that very purpose. What? What about it? Do you love? by Steve Olson on yeah. the book of Romans. He says that it's the Apostle Paul's magnum opus. Yes. Uh, basically, it's the Pauline epistle where we most completely see Paul's theology and such. Something like that. No, I love it. I, yeah, he had five, five quotes. I wanted to read yet, just like that. Listen to these. Stott calls Romans the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. Jesse, just like you're saying. Calvin says that if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures in Scripture. I love that. If you get, if we can get this one, that profound treasures are open to us. Tyndale said of Romans, the more it is studied, the easier it is. Now, uh, I think <laughs> I think he's right on that. And the, this part, I know it is true. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. I didn't know pleasanter was a word, but that is for sure true. The more you study it, and that's what's thrilling me about this year, is that at the end of the year, not only will we love Romans with a different love than we've ever had before, but we are going to be more convinced of how little we know about Romans. I think, you know, we will, if right now we think we know 10% at that point, when we know that we know less than 1%, we're going to be like, if this 1%'s this good, then let me after that other 99, right? And then we'll be quicker to, to get in it and to memorize it and to meditate on Joshua 1.8's got me this week, that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate in it day and night. Then you'll be able to do according to all that's written therein. You'll make our way prosperous and have good success. So we talk about it with Tom's groups is what we call them. T-O-M-S. Talk, obey, and meditate on God's word. Talk, obey, and meditate on it. And so I think that's what excites me. Thinking about Scott's um, sermon last week, right? The time is short. 
And so why is time important? Because it's short, because we can never get it back, because it's a great gift from God, and because it has the ripple effect. So here's what I believe will happen. Grant, don't you think, as we study this, as we study this all together, then you're going to become more and more excited about Romans. You're going to share that with your kids and grandkids. They're going to share it with others. And it's going to have the ripple effect. You're going to be quicker to go to Romans 8. We had a uh, one of our students um, a few years ago, his dad was dying of cancer. He said, you know what? I just I leave my Bible open to Romans 8 on the side of my bed, and I read it every night because I need it, because I need it every night. I just think that's exactly, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, Gunther um, Boncombe, who I don't know if I know him, referred to Romans as the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. This is a longer one, but it's, it's worth listening to Luther, and you know that Luther was greatly impact, impacted by Romans 1, 16 and 17, which, Lord willing, we should be there next week. But he wrote that Romans is a true masterpiece of the New Testament and the very purest gospel, which is well worthy and deserving uh, that a Christian man should not only learn it by heart. So that is the assignment, right? If we just learned it by heart, I guess we'd have to buy about a verse a day, something like that. So that would be quite a uh, that'd be quite a task. Word for word. So he should learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the daily bread of men's souls. It could never be too much or too well read or studied. It can't be too much or too well read and studied. The more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. So, Grant, that reminds me of what you just said, that you look at it and you say, well, these seven, we should be able to cover these in 10 minutes. And then you start looking at it and you say, this is probably 10 weeks worth that we're doing that we're doing each week. Um, chapter, I read this in a couple commentators. Chapter one sets the tempo. And uh, 60 times, does he mention the gospel? Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, I think so, in Romans. So he mentions the gospel 60 times in Romans, and that's what he just, we get right out of the gate with that being the top priority. Could you read one through seven for us? What we're hoping to do is uh, get through one to seven, but before we do that, one qu other quick thing. The outline of the whole book, and this was interesting to me. I hadn't seen it. It might have been, um, I'm not sure which commentary, um, but... 118, really the first 17 verses are a little bit an introduction. Then 118 to 3 is the wrath of God. Chapter 3, 21 to 839 is the grace of God. And then 12, 1 to um, that really the end of 15 is the will of God. The wrath of God, the grace of God, and the will of God. And uh, Caitlin, I thought about you uh, this week because when you came to class a couple of times, Caitlin's testimony is really linear. It just, this led to this, led to this, led to this, led to this, led to this. And uh, isn't that the way you scientists operate? 
Hey, you're a scientist. Do you like linear? I think so. Yeah, me too. I don't even really know for sure what that means, but I was looking up the other way. Was Dr. Hakama lateral? Is that the other, is that the opposite of linear? Like, and that, when you read John, that's not the same. When you read 1 John, he keeps coming back and it's like, wait, we covered this and he's covering it again and again and again and again. Paul is, you will notice, and please look, how many verses start with the word for. And you know why? Because he's building on top of this argument, builds on this, builds on this, builds on this, builds on this. It would be super fun to make a list of what he, this, 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 and he just argues the case. And so at the end of the day, he thoroughly convinces us that the gospel is, you know, gives us all we need for life and godliness, life changing. So, so really the, the, the idea is, He's going to start at the logical place. It's very logical. He's going to start, and we'll get there in a couple weeks when we get to verse 18, with the depravity of man. That man has absolutely no good um, at all bringing to the table. Secondly, then, he's going to go to justification. So what needs to happen? This is how you're justified through the gospel. Then he's going to go to sanctification in, in chapter 6 to 8. And chapter 6 to 8 are going to talk about how once we are justified, then that's the beginning of a glorious, sometimes adventurous, sometimes painful process that starts at justification and ends at glorification. Or even in heaven, you could argue maybe are sanctified in a different way. Okay, And then finally, he's going to go to application, chapter 12 to 16. And so that's the... Oh, and 9 to 11, I missed those. Just talking about God's sovereignty and uh, how he deals with Israel. So there's so many um, things coming up that it says linear and it's thinking. One Any seven. thoughts? Mm. How about 1 to 7? 1 to 7, sounds good. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good, thanks. Um, this is this is pretty neat. There's Stott, he uses six prepositions. Hey, and by the way, would you raise your hand if you would like a Stott commentary? They're really good on Romans. Does anybody not have one of those? Would you like one? How many of you maybe? And please don't be bashful about this. We'll get them and hopefully get them about next week. All right, so we have 10, so we should order 30. Is that about right? Yeah, we'll get you some. And uh, man, I felt. Tell us a little bit about what's been helpful to you about Stott, just so you kind of know what's coming. Um, I, I haven't used his as much as some others. Um, I have one by Schreiner and one by um, one of the Murrays. I can't remember the good one of the two. I think <laughs> the there's good, two. The good Murray. But um, <laughs> Stott is definitely easier to read. Um, 
easier to sort of gather the story of what's happening in Romans, less technical. Um, so it may not be as helpful if you're trying to dive into some aspect that's technical, but it's v- very clear, easy to read. I would oh, say yeah. That about it. No, I would say that. And, and Maybe just, with the nuance on some strange stuff in chapter 5. Right. There's some things Adam. that we're not sure that we agree with on Stott, but boy, the for the most part, just a, a solid guy. Plus, Josh's grandma sat, who's 90 now, 91 maybe, sat on the piano bench with him. That's right, she did. So that's a whole different different deal. We'll have to have Josh tell us about that. But he used six prepositions to explain the gospel. I thought this was good. It's the good news, the good news, the gospel, is about the gospel of God, about Christ, according to the scripture, for the nations, under the obedience of faith, and for the sake of his name. So it's the good news of the gospel of God about Christ according to the scripture for the nations unto the obedience of faith and for the sake of his name. Josh was going to help us especially about this with this first part. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, or maybe better translated, you could even say, would be a slave, a slave of Christ Jesus. Grant, help us with this. You've, you've thought about this with Bro Bible. Uh, I thought about it a little bit. Josh is usually, uh, his specialty the is the, the background guy. He yes. he always knows what's going on, why Paul's writing the letter, who he's writing it to, what's going on there, what's going on with Paul, where he's at in his missionary journey. So maybe we can get him when he comes when he's back, back to sort of revisit all of that background. But what I do know is that Paul had not been here before. He hadn't been to Rome uh, yet. Um, and that he had not met these particular believers that he's writing to. And so how does he introduce himself? Does he you know, put forth his apostleship as the first thing? He does claim his apostleship. But what does he say about himself, and what does he find most necessary to introduce himself to these Christians was his first sentence is, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. So he totally identifies himself as attached to uh, Jesus, as a servant or slave of uh, anything that he can do for Christ is the epitome of who he is rather than the accomplishments that he has or what's going on in his neck of the woods versus what's commenting on what's going on there but his first sentence is Paul's slave of Christ Jesus and then called to be an apostle so he does talk about his apostleship that he was set apart um, in a unique way on the Damascus road called by God to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God meaning that his primary purpose in life is to bring the gospel to um the world. In this case, I think he wanted to go to, to Rome and then go on to Spain from there, I think. I'm not totally yeah. Sure, but. No, absolutely. And uh, in 15, oh man, I think it's 1520, he wants to make sure, uh, this is great, 1520 in Romans. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So he really, really wants to get the gospel to people that have never heard it. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then obviously the Lord gives him a great job, a great task, and he does it. Let me ask you this. Please just throw out some things here. Why do you think Paul uses that language? Because he could have called himself an apostle, which he did. Do you know if in any of the other epistles he calls himself a slave? 
uh, I looked through them. I'm not. I'm actually not sure. I don't. Remember. I'm not sure if I know that either. Why? Why do you think he uses that language, or or what is exciting about him using that language, or us also being a? Because slave has such negative connotations in our mind. What do you think? Why do you think he would use that? So strong. I would say. Wow, yeah, I love it. To show that we were in bondage to sin, turn to chapter 6, because that's exactly, he comes back to the same language. Look in chapter 6 here. Um, man, and, and it is really, really clear there um, about being a slave to sin and now a slave to Christ. Look at verse 20. And look what uh, word it starts with, not shockingly, for, right? Look again, chapter 1, there's going to be over and over and over. These verses are going to start with 4, which means, okay, what's he doing? He's building on what uh, we just looked at, for, for, because, therefore. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And man, you know what? He had to remember because what was Paul like? If you think about what Paul was like before he was a believer, throw out one adjective. Before he was a believer, just throw them out there. Murder. Yep, murderer. Yeah. Killed Christians for a living. Yeah. What else? Malicious. Malicious. That's a good word. I mean, and it didn't seem like he had a... And don't you think he felt like he was right? It was a, he was doing it because that's what he felt like he should do. It wasn't like he was going against. Now, we know from Romans 1, we're going to get there three, two more weeks from now, Lord willing, that he knew there was a God. And he knew he deserved death because all of us do through general revelation. But yeah, he did. He felt like he was doing the right thing, I think. What else? What was Paul like before he was a believer? He was zealous. Oh, yeah. And I mean zealous in the wrong way. Zealously persecuting Christians. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. I don't think his, cha his zeal changed much, did it? But the whole, it went from being zealous for Satan's work to zealous for God's work. Yep, and so look at verse 21. Um, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things that you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. But now, now that you've been set free from sin, and that's just what Quasi's saying, I think, and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So he remembers probably really well being a slave to sin and what that amounted to. And now he is uh, still a slave but a slave to righteousness. Isn't it interesting? I can't wait till we get to chapter 6. It's so amazing. But isn't it interesting that everybody's a slave? Everybody's a slave. But what changes? Your master changes from being a slave to sin to being a slave to God. And then all of a sudden, why? what is your favorite thing about being a slave? A slave to God. Yeah, you're what? You have a... But, his ownership, good. And you, what would you say about? He's 
the best master, right? Just benevolent, giving. Yes, it's what you can't help but want to serve, and to want to obey, and to want to follow. To to the degree where less and less do we want to run our own show. Like I think it still is in our human nature that we don't like to be a slave. To anything. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, but the more we're sanctified, we're almost like, that's, I need that. I want that. What's your favorite part about being a slave, Grant? Um, I, I don't know that I've ever actually thought about that. Um, I, it makes me think of, uh, in Lord of the Rings, Tom Bombadil, he's such a weird character to, if, if you've read about him, but he's described as someone who's his own master. And I think that's probably why he's such an alien character to us, because he is his own master, he's his own man. But it's frightening that when we try to behave in a similar fashion, because we're not created to be our own masters, we're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. So it's yeah. interesting to think about, uh, before I was a Christian, I thought I was my own master. I thought I was You're doing free, yeah what I needed and wanted to do, but I, I wasn't. I was just serving uh, the prince of the power of air and my own flesh. Uh, I couldn't control what I was doing. I was only, I was a slave, even if I didn't see it. Yeah. And then um, when my eyes were opened, when I became a Christian, uh, even though I'm a slave to Christ, there feels like there's more freedom now by far than oh, there yeah. ever was before I'm able to not do the things that I don't mm -hmm. want to do and do the things that I want to do, which is namely to follow Christ, even yeah. though I don't always do that perfectly. That's um, That would be an attempt at an answer. That no, I love that. Yeah. Because don't you think the unbeliever, and I think this would give us a little more grace to the unbeliever if we realize they think they're free. I really think they do. They think that we're all tied up. We've got to obey these rules, and we got to come to church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We've got to do all this stuff that they don't want to do. And, and, and they really are the ones that are free to only sin. That's the only thing they're free to do, right? They're slaves to sin. They don't submit to God's law. They can't. They can't please God. How free is that? That they can't do the one thing that God put them on earth to do, to bring glory to them. They can't do it. It's impossible for They're hostile to him. And so what a joy. I hope today that even in this, right out of the gate, we see oh, this freedom. What a glorious thing to be a slave to God. What a freeing thing that is to be able to not run our own show anymore or not even think we have to, but that he has us. He's got everything about us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all these things unto you. That, that's just so glorious to know that and to, and to think about that um, in this way. How about that? the rest of verse 1 there? Called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Called. Grant, can you help us with called? Because this is a shows up again you see it in verse 6 including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ and then in verse 7 to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be as saints okay so there's three times in these first seven verses Jesus is mentioned eight times or by pronoun or personally by name in the first eight 
um, I think uh, someone wrote. Um, but what about this idea of being called the effectual call? Yeah, it's, I mean, I'll try to answer, but then I'm going to need your help to, <laughs> to finish it out. But the Westminster Confession, you know, they have their questions and answers. And the question 31 is, what is the effectual calling? And the answer is, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Je- embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospels. And so I think when Paul is describing called to be an apostle, we know how he was called on the Damascus Road. It wasn't something that he initiated or did. It was something that he received when Christ suddenly appeared to him and showed him that he was Lord, and he was blinded by that. And I think... Um, it's an emphasis in the introduction because he uses it three times. He uses it, I think, frequently in his introductions uh, to describe believers as called. Um, and we'll get into it more, I think, in the rest of this book as mm-hmm. he describes salvation. But um, I, I think just experientially for me when I was becoming a believer, um, this wasn't something I discovered. I didn't, I didn't know about God's sovereignty, and I didn't know about effectual calling as I was becoming a believer, but it was something that I experienced and quickly, em- uh, and I think thankfully for me, embraced because um, Mark was teaching it, you were teaching it, Scott was teaching it uh, from the Scriptures, so I was able to see it right away from y'all's teaching, but I felt it, I think, even before I saw it. It felt like something was happening to me rather than <clears throat> me deciding or doing or initiating or pursuing I mean I was doing things but it was because I just remember throughout that whole process like what is going on why why are why are these emotions changing why is this happening it was something happening to me rather than me uh, initiating or, or doing something yeah oh no that's that's really exciting it's interesting that um, I've read that in the epistles in everything that Paul wrote Every time he uses the word called, it's for the effectual calling, which means that when someone's called, they will be saved. They will be justified. Look in, uh, and Grant's right, this is going to show up, but look at 8, 28 through 30. We should look at this every week. Maybe we will look at this every week. My ninth graders are learning eight verses, uh, 20 verses from Romans 8, but these are not the optional ones. They can memorize 13 optionals and seven that they have to learn. These they have to learn. The boys, of course, will uh, pick the 13 shortest verses in Romans 8, and they will be completely random, but they will count the words because they don't want to learn one more word than they are really have to. Um, I love this, though. Look at called here. 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are what? Are called according to his purpose. So from our perspective, we love God. From his perspective, we love him because he called us, right? Those were called out of that great love. He loved us in such a way that he called us to be his saints, like we're going to see in verse 7. But then look what happens. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And that is the way Paul uses the word in every one of the epistles. That those, If you're called, you will be justified. I love that. A 100% success rate 
If you are foreknown, you're predestined. If you're predestined, you're called. Same number in each of those groups. If you're called, you're justified. And if you're justified, the day we kick the bucket, you're glorified. That is exciting. Those five things, the exact same people in each of those groups. There's no more or no less. And that's what we get from chapter 8. But if you move back to this, to look at this word called, back in chapter 1, we are, um, including you, are called the one Jesus Christ in 6, to those in Rome who are loved by God. Okay, so the loved by God. It reminded me of, is maybe Deuteronomy 6, uh, maybe 6. Um, why is Israel God's people? Do you remember that? There's just a little discussion in there. Like, why did God choose the Israelites? And you know, I say, that's a great, I, well, he didn't choose the Philistines or the Edomites or the Jebusites or any of those other ites. He didn't choose any of those guys. He chose the Israelites. Why? You know why he said? Does anybody remember? It's not a very, it's not completely satisfying, maybe. Do you remember why he chose Israelites? Yeah, well, it sure is, right? And he says, "Because I love them." It's it's for his glory. He said, "I I love them." And he's like, "Well, you love it." He loves all those other ones too, but there's that special kind of love that he lavished on the Israelites and now on us, on believers. So those who are loved by God in that way are called, and I think that Lazarus. Part of the reason, there's got to be a hundred reasons, but do you remember when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, right? Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus is in the grave dead, and I don't think he had a, I don't think there was a discussion in Lazarus' mind. It's like, ooh, I like it in here. I'm not coming out. No. What happened when Jesus called him? He traipsed right out of there, Right? Take off his cloak. And I think that that right there is a great illustration of effectual call. That Lazarus had no choice. And here, it now it's not like anybody comes kicking and screaming. Isn't that God dragged us? It's like God changes us. He regenerates us just like he did Lazarus, right? He made him alive. Ephesians 2, the, the language of Ephesians 2. Josh, why do you love chronic? Why do you love Ephesians 2? When God made us alive coming out of that out of that sin, isn't that the same idea here? That's a great contrast of like from our dead self and but God made us alive. Yeah, but God made us alive. And then again continuously he gave us the works beforehand. Yes. So. so he gives us the work beforehand to do. Josh loves that passage and, and I have grown to love it through Josh there. That's an incredible uh passage there. We were dead in our transgressions and our sins, just like Lazarus. God calls us, regenerates us, and we come out of that grave, and we are now alive for the first time. Man, you think about being a slave, being dead is, you're just, a, uh, you know, you can't operate. You don't have any, any operation there. And so it's, Kate, when you're thinking some good stuff, spill the beans on what you're thinking. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I love it. Yeah. No, we talk about that a lot. God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. Psalm 115, 3. 
So we don't know. Why did God call you? He didn't call everybody in this way. Now, Jesus called everybody. I'm not saying that the word called isn't used in a different way in Scripture. It is. Uh, Jesus used it in um, Matthew 22, 14. For many are called and few are chosen. Okay? And that's a general call. That's a bad analogy, but I remember we used to walk outside. We had way too many cats. And we would just say, here, can you get it? And they would come from, they would just maul you in case you had something to eat. Like it would be like 17 would just come from on the farm. They would come from other people's farms somehow. They just knew. Okay? And so it was just a disasterful of, it was a general call to all cats. And this would be Jesus using a general call to people. Mark will, do, no, Mark's not preaching. Greg will do that today, right? He will call us to action. And it's, and, and, and but that doesn't mean that everybody will. Uh, any, every unbeliever won't come to Christ today. Who will? Those who God effectually calls. It always 100% success rate. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Grant, how about two and three there? I just want to say with that, it's incredibly comforting to uh, think about the effectual calling. I remember sitting on Mark's couch after a discussion group when everybody had left and was describing the things that were, were happening to me and then just saying, Mark, what, what do you think is going on? And he said, well, after he paused for a, a good while and was silent and said, Grant, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that sounds like regeneration to me. And then I went home and looked up regeneration to see, yeah, yeah, to see what that, means. What that yeah, meant yeah. in the Bible. And was like, wow. And it was just this warmth spread through me of, whoa, that is, in, would God do that? Would he call me, like, specifically? Like, yeah. Grant, come out of the grave. It's time for you to be, you know, my chosen, uh, one of my chosen sons now, or daughters. And I think it's like um, in seven, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, uh, like in, in Daniel, they'll probably get to it in the other Sunday school. Um, is, it, is it Gabriel that appears to Daniel? I, I can't remember. One of the angels appears to Daniel. I think it's Gabriel. And specifically is talking to him and says, basically tells him to not worry uh, when you started praying, a call went out in heaven because you are greatly loved. And that mm -hmm. was always extremely moving to me, thinking about him praying, the call went out in heaven for assistance to come, and Gabriel comes to him and says, you are greatly loved by God. And I think for a lot of believers, um, it can be hard to feel a personal love by God. We can sort of feel an intellectual or general love that's described in Scripture of believers, but to feel a personal love by God, I think... Uh, can be difficult, and uh, doctrines like the effectual calling and seeing it, that mm -hmm. the believers here in Rome, the, the ones that are called saints, that are called by God, are, are loved by God. That can be an incredibly good and comforting thing. Oh, that's great. And I, to me, Romans makes me feel, subjectively feel loved. Right, as you just read what he does and how he does it. And don't you think, the more we understand the gospel, Sort of systematically, sort of in linear thinking, the more we are going to appreciate that calling. It's Jesus died for our sins, but it's way, 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 way more than that. The gospel is so is such good news across the board, so many different ways. I love verse two there that um, through the prophets in the holy scriptures. Remember, we all we need we have in the Bible. 
We have all we need for life and godliness. The Bible is sufficient. I think that's being attacked in our day. Okay, The Bible is not just inerrant. It is that completely. But it is also sufficient. When you're cranky, read the Bible. Right? When you have a lack of faith, faith comes from hearing and what? Hearing from the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Read the Bible. Meditate on it. Get your promises. I hope you do that in Romans. I hope you come up with a list of promises that you go to. Peyton, like uh, 831, right? If God's for us, who can be against us? Those kind of things help us to preach to ourselves. Rather than listen to ourselves, we have to preach to ourselves. Because our heart's a liar. If we listen to ourselves, we're going to be in a heap of trouble. Whatever you do, don't listen to yourself. Don't follow your heart. Whew. That's a disaster, right? That whatever Disney movie you're watching that's challenging you to follow your heart, say, that's bad news right there. Instead, that's all through the scripture concerning his son. Okay, so this is all about Jesus. Very Christ-centered, who descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, and the resurrection from the dead. So this was, uh, I, I loved reading the commentary um, on this. Jesus proved, it was he was proven to be the son of God because God rose him from the dead. Okay, had God not um, chose to make Jesus alive from the dead, <laughs> we would know that he wasn't the son of God, but that proved um, that he would, that, that he was through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Um, Grant, that's an interesting phrase, the obedience of faith. What you have for us? Yeah, uh, I, I know Josh was digging into that one more because I think he was saying that a lot of times someone can read that and think, doesn't that sort of go against the... Uh, Salvation by faith alone faith type type stuff. Um, what is this obedience of faith? But uh, to be honest, when I read it, I didn't even really flinch when I saw it because it just seems like Paul's agreeing with James here that um, faith without works is dead. That's the the fruit is always going to be obedience to God's will and word. Um, after the after uh, regeneration has the new birth has taken place, there's going to be this outflowing of spiritual fruit. Those yeah. two are they're not mutually exclusive to one another. Well, and it says to bring about to. So it's to it's kind of what you're saying. It's the, if you become a believer, it's to bring about of obedience. Yes, sir. Just doing obedience. And doesn't that go back to what you were saying, Josh, in Ephesians two, yeah, right? You get yeah, right. The good works in verse ten there follow the theology. And so, just like in almost every one of Paul's epistles, we get theology up front, and we're going to get a lot of it, all the way to chapter 8, right? And that, in our case, is September. And then, after that, he will go to what do we do about it? So, it's theology, and then what is the practical um, implications of that theology? So, yeah, I think you're right, that saving faith always produces works. It always does. That doesn't always look the same, but we know if you are exactly the same as you were before you think you became a Christian, then I'm not trying to be offensive here, but there's not salvation, 
right? You don't go from being dead to alive and being the same person. You can't. So, right. um, and um, I think it, it's it seems to be attached as well to the Great Commission that we are to preach the gospel to. Uh, be evangelist, but we're also called to uh, teach everything that Christ has instructed us to teach. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here, that one of his goals is to bring about the obedience that comes from faith. And yeah. we'll see all that in, what is it, 12 through 15, the, mm-hmm. will, the will of God, the, the things that we are to live like. Because after we've described what happens when it changes, now, now we want to. We're a slave to righteousness. We, we have a desire, a yearning desire that God has placed there and enabled in us to want to do the right thing so we want to know what those things are and, and be taught to do them. And, and sometimes I think um, we can get, we can get can, I know I got really confused with, with if works have to be there, then they're part, you know, you can get kind of maybe, I've always gotten kind of um, confused on that, but just what you want on a Sunday afternoon is a, a chemistry lesson, but I've tried to find good analogies for uh, how this kind of works to better understand it. And uh, maybe this is a good one. Sometimes you can get in trouble with analogies. I don't, definitely don't want to dip into heresy, but um, like with a chemistry reaction, you always have just you know picture a pot and you put some ingredients in. They dissolve in the solution. A reaction takes place. You can either have it where two things mix and they react and they produce heat. The reaction's taking place. Or you can have where you put two things together, you have to add heat, and then the reaction takes place. If you look at both of them, the reaction has taken place. They'll both be hot, but they're fundamentally different from one another. One Mm. produces the heat, and therefore you know the reaction's there. One, you have to put the heat on, and then the reaction takes place. And that's always helped me. You'll you'll have heat from both of them, but they're fundamentally different reactions from one another. That's, that's one way. I don't know. Maybe that helps only Caitlin. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Caitlin so might have already known that, right? Yeah. Yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, I love it. No, that's so good. That's really good. I had never thought about it. I had never thought about chemistry as far as that goes. So that is, uh, that's, that's really neat. Here's what I would uh, ask you to think about. What's going to make this the greatest year of enjoying and learning and appreciating Romans 12? So it has a ripple effect that it becomes contagious that everybody else that you know loves Romans 12 as well. I think as we go, read the chat, the, uh, and we will hopefully get a chance to maybe um, get a group me. That's for Romans. That would that way you can look. Uh, we'll post things that we have we found interesting. That if you want to do some further study this week, it'd be great if you could. And I would say even every day. Read verses 8 to 17. Hopefully we get that far next week. 8 to 17 in chapter 1. We're looking at four weeks in chapter 1. January will be chapter 1. Um, I pray. Please pray for Josh and Grant and I, but pray for your own souls that you will become thrilled with um, the book of Romans. Uh, we were challenged when we took Romans class in Bible um, uh, school to uh, Bible college to sit down and read the whole chapter in one sitting. The whole book, the whole book in one sitting. I don't even remember, 45 minutes maybe is about it. You can do it. And so that's a a pretty neat way where you start to understand then more of the flow of logic. Those are some of the things and would love to hear from you on other things that would make this class um, helpful for you. Time flies. We're having fun. This is too fast. Grant, would you pray for us and, and for Greg as he preaches today? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are able to gather freely um, 
uh, in person to look at your word. Uh, Father, I pray that that would continue for us, that we would be able to continually gather as a church uh, in person and uh, hear teaching from your word. And Father, thank you that we are uh, able to embark on a year-long study through Romans. Father, I pray that you would bless it, that it would be fruitful, um, that we would grow an understanding of what your gospel is through this book, that we would have uh, accurate teaching, Father, that we would um, have a desire grow within us to study as a class this book, that we would come to a better understanding than we had before of Romans, and that we would be humbled by um, the gospel as it is presented through Paul in this letter. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen Greg as he uh, is preaching to us today, and that through your spirit he would be able to clearly articulate what the text is saying and that it would move our hearts and that we would love you more and want to obey you uh, fully as we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, amen. Thank you so much. I'll try to order a bunch of studs. I don't know if they'll make it here by uh, in time, but if not, this week we'll...